My name is Florence Moindi, and I serve with Life in Abundance International. Um, we're based out of Nairobi, uh, Kenya, but we have work in several parts of Africa, and we also have work here in the U.S. in partnership with U.S. churches. Um, let me just introduce us in the room. Uh, we have Justin uh, way back there. Uh, Justin is our director on the U.S. side. He's in the senior leadership, and um, he serves as the director of partnerships and resources. Um, we have up front here uh, James Gatere, and uh, he is also in the senior leadership and serves as the director in finance and administration. We've got Paul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Paul is uh, the country director from Kenya and is in charge of our work in Kenya. Uh, we have country directors in all the countries where we work. So Egypt, uh, North Sudan, South Sudan, Eritrea, Djibouti, Somalia, um, coming down into Ethiopia. So that's, that's us, and welcome to the session. Sorry. Okay, of course. Um, you know, when you mix in with the, everybody, I put up. But Anna, uh, she's right there. She's ours. <laughs> yeah, Anna is in charge of our office, actually out of Kentucky here, and uh, she takes charge of church relationships, partnerships. She's in a manager position. And we have Annie, Anna, uh, sitting right next to Justin there. And... Um, She's in charge of communications uh, based out of Phoenix. Our other office is in California. Pardon me for not mentioning that. Okay. Uh, let's, let's open in prayer. Lord, we are truly thankful to be gathered together as a team that wants to hear what you have to say to us this afternoon. And we invite your presence to take over. We invite your lordship in everything that's going to be said and done, the Lord, you'll be completely in charge. I just release myself to you. Father, the words of my mouth, may they bring honor and glory to you. Uh, you are my Father. We are in your, in your presence. Father, feed us from your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the topic I'm addressing this afternoon, and that's what's the published one there, is community health education uh, working from the ground up. So let's go to the ground and let's begin to work from there up. So come with me to Khartoum. Um, how many of you have been to Sudan? All right. So come with me to Khartoum. Um, Let's go a bit back in time. It's 2004, and um, there has been war between the north and the south, and the situation is, is not good. There has been people displaced from the south that moved to Khartoum. Um, they're crowded in a refugee camp, and, um, and we're invited to go in there. You know, that's a reality on the ground. We're invited to go in there. Our contacts this time is one of the board members who is serving with us in Ethiopia. 
So she has seen our work in Ethiopia and has convinced us to just come and visit Khartoum and see what is happening there and advise how can there be a presence of a church making a difference in that community. Uh, so we go with the notion that we're just going to, to give advice. We're going to see and, uh, yeah, and not really committed to, to long term. So we move, go into this community. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. And um, it has been raining down south. And that's where the, the Nile is drawing its water from. So it's begun to flood in some areas in Khartoum. And uh, people who had camped along the Nile have relocated now and have crowded into an already crowded area uh, where the displaced people from southern Sudan are living. Um, as we go into that community that morning, it also rained in, within the, the settlement. So children are playing in the, in the alleys between the the box houses, the plastic houses that have been made to house the people who have moved from the south. And um, it's about, the water is about six, six inches deep, so they're, they're having a good day. Uh, there's excitement. Uh, rain is not a common thing in Khartoum, so it's a new thing, and children are excited. And as we make our way across, across the crowded area, we're sort of walk, walking on a on a raised edge, you know, um, that's like a terrace that's bordering the road and where the, the community is settled. You get the picture? So uh, we are walking towards a center area where they've cleared a room. And that room is like a multi-purpose room. Sometimes it's a classroom uh, for children who want to be taught. And in fact, in that particular morning as we enter, there's a group of students that are being taught math. And um, we come in, and uh, they are told to wait outside because we have a group of 12 pastors um, who, who are working with us, and we're going to be discussing how best do you enter such a community and make a difference as a church. Now, as we come into that, it's 10,000 people plus uh, crowded in a small area. Um, they do not... They do not have any social amenities. I mean, no one prepared for them. Really, no one prepares for people who suddenly come into an area. So we survey, just looking over, and you can see, you can see dirt. You can see a lot of misery. People are sad because they've left home. There's insecurity. There's, there's nakedness. Um, there's hopelessness. People are wondering, is there going to be an end to this? Um, they feel helpless because the government, who is supposed to be their protector, at this time is not protecting them. As a matter of fact, they are at war with the people in the south. You can see obvious signs of poverty because people are just left with what they had and um, are camped out in a place that is just insecure because no dolls and you know, no space for privacy anyway. And then there are broken social norms. Some people have come as a family. Others don't know where their family members are. And there's immoral behavior as happens when social norms are broken. And, you know, the list can go on and on. And as we walk into that, we just realize no preparation could have enabled us 
to plan a program for such a situation. And then it just hits us again that it's got to start from the ground. It's, it's not the pre preparation. It's not what you can conceive before. You may go in with the principles, but it's as you enter, as you connect with the reality on the ground, um, that ministry and the ministry structure now will evolve. Come with me again to another place, and this time it's Nairobi. Um, it's a city that is, that is pretty affluent and developed. Anybody been to Nairobi here? All right, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, but toward the south, I want to say southwest section, depending on where you're coming from, uh, of Nairobi, we have a large informal settlement. It's called Kibera. And it's a place where people who earn very little in Nairobi or are just coming into the city and wanting to find, if they can find a job, or people who are jobless, or people who've lost financially in one way or the other, find themselves making their home there in this informal settlement. It's informal because really no one owns the land, although people have claimed it. It actually does belong to the government. So it's not developed, um, and you don't want to develop it because sooner or later the government could come and uh, take it from you. So there's a lot of crowding, um, and there are no social amenities. There's no uh, proper sewage or waste disposal. There's a lot of crime, and it can be insecure living in Kibera. There's, uh, there's drug abuse. There's, there's a lot of, lot of, a lot of um, alcohol, especially, abuse. Um, there's unemployment. Housing is a problem. And um, as we go into Kibera that morning, this is 2005, we are invited to visit two homes. Um, there were two pastors who had become friends of ours, and they invited us to visit two homes, almost like a sample of come, see how people live here, and let's pray together. So we go into the first home. It's about 10 by 10, not a surprise because that's, that's common. That's expected, and, you know, it's a usual thing. And um, we go in, and the room has been sort of cleared because they were expecting us. They've put four stools in the, in the center where we are going to sit. They've rolled up the mattress and a few belongings, and they've put it at one corner. And there are two kids that are leaning on the mattress that's been put in the corner, about five and nine years. And then there's a girl who is welcoming us in. She's about 12. And as we get in and our eyes get uh, adjusted to the, to the amount of light inside, um, we realize there's a woman who is uh, sitting on the floor on a, on a cardboard. Um, and uh, she's, she's got AIDS. You, you can just see. Uh, you can just tell. She's, um, she doesn't have very long to, to live. So the girl begins to tell us the story, or rather telling the pastors, because they've come to pray with their mother, um, that... Um, their, their mother was working, but now uh, she's at home. They need more income, and the mother cannot work anymore now. The father is working, as the story unfolds, we realize. 
and is making about 300 shillings a day, um, which you would translate to about just over $3, about $3 a day. And, um, yeah, she no longer goes to school because she's taking care of the mother. And uh, the other children, we don't really inquire much about them because they're, um, they're sort of secondary compared to the grave situation that we see um, with the mother. They have a clinic down the road, and um, she's been taking the mother there, but has been advised that the mother needs a healthy diet, and so cannot continue with the medication, or so uh, it was reported, because if she continues with the medication and is not eating well, she's going to die. So we've been invited now to pray with this family and, um, and just encourage them. Uh, they cook with a, a kerosene stove, um, which is just on the other side, and, um, and they have a lantern, a kerosene lantern, uh, which they use for, for light. And really, I, I still can't um, fully understand what had happened, but it looked like they should have had a few more things in the room, but somehow they did not. And I couldn't tell, had they sold things to try and meet a medical bill? Or was this really the reality? Um, so we ask where they sleep, where the children sleep, and we get to know that they all just share that room, the 12-year-old, the 9-year-old, and the 5-year-old. I w- we were supposed to go to the second home, but I will not, I will not bring you into that second home because I, I don't want to just share the depression of that whole scenario. But that's the reality of things on the ground. Um, you get there and you couldn't have planned for that. You know, where do you begin? This is a sample of just several homes that are in that um, slum. And it's not just the only slum in Nairobi. There's Madari, which has similar problems as this one. But let's go elsewhere. Let's go to, to Somalia. Um, to the north of Kenya, Um, and this is 2011, just this year. There has been drought, and uh, the media is going crazy about uh, what is happening there. So people are looking at those pictures and saying, who is responding? LIA, are you responding? Can we come alongside that? And we get an email from Uh, an organization that comes from Germany. They've gone to one of the areas in that region where we are working, and they've connected with our team there. Uh, They've seen what we do. They feel it's it's authentic. And they write to us and say, can we partner to respond in the communities where you're working? Um, We've been working with those communities and are involved in some micro-enterprise initiatives. We are also involved in healthcare. Um, education efforts are in place. In fact, we have a children's school uh, with a feeding program. And um, they see all that and say, let's help you because the systems you had put in place are beginning to disintegrate now because of the food um, insecurity. So we begin to partner with them uh, mainly to respond to the disaster situation there. But as we begin to look, we realize some of the people we are supposed to respond to, um, it's not just about food. Um, They don't have homes to live in, 
so they are in the open. Uh, some of their children are sick, so it can't be just food and not addressing the medical aspect. There is a nakedness, so they will need some clothing. We give out some food that is not cooked, and we realize they need, they need a place to cook this food. So it becomes bigger than just going there to, to give out food. What am I saying in all this community health education, or in other terms, what you can call community health evangelism uh, in countries where there's no limited access, or primary health care, community health uh, development. It's addressing the total well-being um, of the person. Easier said until you get to the ground and realize uh, there are such deep realities to be dealt with, especially if your focus is with the poor. Um, what do we do? It's really bringing together the primary healthcare elements, um, as would be listed in, in, in the public health dimension, and then priori putting priority to those and asking ourselves, where do we begin? What are the root causes? And what program can be designed to address those root causes, not neglecting the immediate but realizing just addressing the immediate does not solve the problem we are dealing with. Um, and that's what we are saying beginning, beginning from the ground. Uh, because you would never know the reality until you are you're on the ground, you've seen, you've smelt, you've uh, uh, gotten in touch with and are able to develop something that can address that situation. So that's where it begins. But even how do you know which country to go to? I mean, look at Africa today. Um, from east, west, north, south, there are countries that are screaming and needing help, like yesterday. And then you look on the other side, and it's really developing countries. Where do you begin, and where do you go, and where do you not go? You know, once we have um, identified a country and realize that God is calling us to that country, we prayerfully seek that he would lead us to the very community that he has assigned us. Uh, because though there may be many needs, uh, there is an assignment that God invites us to. Um, and even just stepping back there, life in abundance, uh, as I mentioned, is in is in these countries in Africa. Um, and uh, recently we were praying and asking God, what's going to be our next agenda on the African continent? And um, we for sure realized God was inviting us to go, to go a bit further uh, to the east, to, to the west of Kenya. And um, to the west, we have, we have Tanzania down here. And then we've got the countries, uh, the other countries surrounding it. And it did make sense that we would include Tanzania because it's open, it's easy to access. Um, traveling from Nairobi uh, into Arusha, it's almost you know, a natural way to, to go. And we, 
We presented this to the board and their, in fact their question was why isn't Tanzania there? Because it makes um, every logic. So we went back to pray and again God was saying no, I am not assigning you Tanzania this time. Um, I'm just saying that to say it's so important for you to know which door has God opened. Because unless you know that the gate has been opened and you can bring in the king of glory, um, it can be labor in vain in the first place. And um, thanks, James. Um, So it may look uh, weird just how we are placed on that map, um, but I think it's important for us to realize it's through prayer that you begin in the right ground in the first place. It's one thing to begin from the ground up, but even just beginning from the right ground. I wanted just to say that he, he protects his purpose and uh, his assignment is blessed to accomplish and his burden is, is light um, once we are rightly placed uh, in partnership with God. Um, as we enter the country, we begin to look uh, at who is our person of peace. You know, how do, how do you enter Ethiopia? Where do you begin? Is it north, south? Uh, who is our person of peace? And how do we connect so that we can make a difference? And it's interesting that it varies from, from place to place. Like in Ethiopia, um, it was a language helper who eventually became our person of peace and connected us to the community and began to open those doors. In Kenya, it was one of the board members. Sorry, I mean in Sudan, it was one of our board members. And then in southern Sudan, it was a partner ministry. It was the director, the international director of a partner ministry who became that person of peace for us. But once we get into the community, what do we do? How do we begin from that ground? We invite churches to come together, churches that are located in the target community that God has given us, and we share our vision. And what is our vision? We talk about our ministry, that we are focused on the poor, and that we are here to facilitate life and life in abundance, because that's why Jesus came. That what the thief has taken and stolen and is choosing to destroy Uh, Jesus has come that there may be life and life in abundance in a home like the home that I just described, that it's possible to turn that situation around. We also let them know that we do this in partnership with the churches. It's not an NGO. It's not a non-profit that's just coming to stage a show. Uh, We are here to partner with the local churches that this can come to pass. And we focus on interventions that become self-sustaining. So it's not everything that is going to be something for us to do. It's just those things that can gain local ownership and can be empowering in the process so that the poor can take a hold of their development. And uh, especially knowing that we will not be there for long, we choose to phase out within three um, to four years from a community that we've partnered with, having empowered them. And our key strategy of empowerment is training. Uh, We pass on the skills that we have to key resource persons, to the leadership in those communities, so that they begin to make decisions with us from the beginning, informed decisions, 
having taken our training, and become stakeholders, really, of the development process that is going to happen in their community. As we share the vision, we begin to identify the like-minded people, because those are the people who will stick with us. Um, some will oppose the strategy because it just doesn't connect with them. Uh, others will get excited and invite others to come and see. And those begin to be our partners. We also begin to see which of the churches that have come to our vision seminars will actually be partners in the long run. And we test that. We usually tell them, now that you've caught the vision, go back to your churches and choose a ministry team that we are going to empower, we are going to be working with, that you can send to us as volunteers. We will train them, we will equip them, and we will work with them for the longer term. And it's only those churches that go back and put that team together and convince them that they can work with us, that we end up partnering with. Some are quick to say, yes, we want this, but when they realize they are part of the development, um, they are co-workers, uh, then they're not ready to be part of this. They would rather we just give what we came with and be on our way, but we can't do that because God has called us to be responsible about the, the process, even as we had in plenary this morning. So the next thing that happens in that community is the training. Um, and after the training, which is usually a 10-day training, um, 80 hours of, of class and outdoor uh, visits in their own community, um, they begin to embrace the Great Commission uh, together with us. They embrace the, the concerns that God has about their community, that as a church they are called to be light and salt in that community, that they are actually to be examples. Um, they, they wake up to the reality that God is counting on them. It's not going to be the people from far away, but they're there as, as a planting of God to bring about a change in the, in the environment there. Um, and they're accountable for what they will have done. And as they come to that aha moment, when we are telling them about Isaiah 61 and planting hope in them, um, we're talking about Isaiah 58, um, the breaking of the yoke, the spiritual warfare that they need to engage um, rebuilding the foundations. We encourage them that it's possible, and with God all things are possible. Even that miserable situation that we've seen in that home visit, uh, even this flooding that is happening, even the war that I've just described, you know, with God it's possible. And raising an army, really, that would carry the purpose of God to make a difference in there. So, yes, from the ground up. And that's part of the, the groundwork. Sometimes it's a lot of work. In some situations, it can take prayer and prayer walks for several weeks. It can even go into months before you begin to see the change coming. Um, but unless the ground is broken, unless it's well prepared, um, if we are quick to put, to put seed in the ground and are not willing to, to till, um, all we can do then is, uh, is relief and not, not development. All we can do is, is a quick harvest of results that, that pass away. But as we build that foundation, it's able to bear 
the transformation that God wants to do. The next thing that comes and the next thing that we do is beginning to mobilize the, the community. Uh, and it's really the church in the forefront. Um, and this can be through health campaigns. Uh, it could be a health education uh, something that we stage in the church and invite people. It could be AIDS awareness. Um, it's really things that meet the felt needs in that community. Like for Somalia, it was the food distribution highlighting the families that have children that are malnourished. And then we move forward now to spread that to food security issues. Uh, for Sudan, it was the church beginning to respond to the flooding situation and uh, providing some plastic covers for those that were, were under the rain. And the church begin, beginning to be relevant in that situation, um, but not really stopping there. Uh, in, in Kibera, in, in that home where we went to, it was beginning to engage in cleaning the streets, um, garbage collection, um, and almost declaring we cannot continue to live in a situation that we can make better by putting our hands to work. So a community church-based committee is formed, which is the next thing that happens, and the community begins to see the church as relevant. They elect a leadership that can work together, and again, the church, the people we had trained, now also train this committee so they can be decision makers, informed decision makers in the transformation process. Um, they begin to do home visits, and we found home visits to be, to be really key because it's at the home level um, that you begin to sample what is happening. Um, you begin to be impactful uh, uh, to the community from family to family. And you connect at a level where there's security and you leave impact. And then they begin to talk about it. They begin to talk about the church. And the, the relevance of the church is even further multiplied. Um, beginning at a level that the church can afford, that may not uh, give an excuse that they don't have the resources, in most times, it's just the time resource that's needed or the people that's needed. It may not be so much the money resource. You can call these seed projects. You can call it an entry process. But it's really beginning from that ground that you begin to make a difference in the community. Um, the Bible talks about, about two people who build, who build houses. Um, one of them built it on, on sand I imagine it was quick to build. And then there was another who built it on stone. And um, when the storms came, the house stood. And for us, this is really building the house. It's establishing a foundation where we can begin to do projects on. We can talk about an orphans and vulnerable children program that is going to focus on 300 children, that is going to invite children from the street and inviting the church members to be part of that, rehoming them, uh, breaking habits, removing them from shameful habits. And the church, because of this firm foundation, will be able to manage that and manage it well and bring it to a completion. It's talking about let's establish a clinic um, coming from them, and we tell them, how do you want to establish that clinic? Um, choosing people who can be responsible 
um, being accountable in terms of the medicines and the monies that they will get from there because the foundation is in place. There's accountability and the community has found the relevance of the church and the church has found their role and their call to the community. And it's that foundation that can, can last, that can hold, and that we can talk about as this work is sustainable. Um, I want to stop here because that, that was my agenda to talk about, about the ground, really beginning from the ground, by just saying my submission is building the foundation. That's the key thing that will bring success in a community health work, in a community-based development, and what we are called to do as Christians um, in partnership with the church. So it's appreciating what, what's God, what God's plan is by seeking and discerning and finding his will. It's addressing the factors that Satan has put in place uh, to prevent development, to prevent that life in abundance, and it's through prayer, and it's through the partnership with the church, helping them to find their mission and implementing it. And it's um, setting that management structure that upholds the purpose of God. And it's realizing the needs, the style of addressing those needs. The priorities will differ from community to community, so it's got to start from the ground, from the ground up. And it's really by analyzing the data that you get, the information that you get, that now you can begin to design a program that is relevant um, for the people. Um, I'd like to respond to questions. Um, I'd like us to share experiences, because I know there's plenty of experience in this room. And um, the questions are not just to me, but that's, that was the reason why I introduced our teammates, that we can all share together. Yes, please. How, how do you keep that, that um, functioning after the acute need is passed? I mean, you know, what you're wanting to do is get to move to ongoing development and you're starting it at a time of crisis, it sounds like to me. Yeah. Um, Starting from a time of crisis and transitioning that to, to development. Um, that's the question that is being asked. Um, I can just tell you from experience, um, in Sudan, we needed to be relevant uh, for the day uh, so that we can even earn to be listened to. Um, and the crisis then was the flooding is happening. It has rained. Uh, we are in pain, uh, what can the church do? Um, the mistake we would have made at that point would have been for us to go and be seen as the ones who are distributing the plastic, the plastic covers. Um, but rather using these, these pastors who had come with us, the 12 pastors, after that visit we went back and it was equipping them to go back to the people and see how can they help, um, equipping in terms of information, 
but also in terms of where do we begin. Um, let's begin with the plastics, but we are moving forward. And then they will be the same ones now to call them together for the vision seminar. And in the vision seminar, we are saying we are here, we are in this situation as a church. What do we do? What is God's agenda for us? Um, for Sudan, we realized it wasn't going to be development to, to make systems in the community on the ground. It was actually going to be people-based development because it was our prayer and our hope that a time is coming when they'll go back to the places where they've come from. So it was skill development, teaching them to sow. It was helping them through the churches, purely through the churches. In fact, uh, in some places, they don't get to know life in abundance is working with the churches because we equip the churches as our resource persons. And then they are the ones who do the home visits. They're the ones who take charge of the activities. But we, we give oversight. And we hold them accountable. Now, do you pay the, any of the people or is this all volunteer to the church? Um, we, do, we do not pay because that is not sustainable. And that's why it's got to be the church, uh, a church ministry, um, as would be like a prayer ministry in the church or, or the choir. It's people who are chosen by their pastors to be part of, to take this as a church ministry. And they only embrace what they can manage. For example, a, t a training of trainer who is trained to, to be in charge of a cluster. It could be 10 households that they are managing. So it's not an everyday work. It's like doing the home visits, maybe twice, twice a week. So something they would normally do anyway in the social context in, in Africa, they would still visit their friends. But this time they are visiting to advance a, a cause, a joint cause, in partnership with the church. Uh, we do have a presence. We, we have a, a country office in each country where we are located. We have um, Life in Abundance staff that are in place, and um, they are our resource for training the churches. The churches report to them. Sometimes we do the bigger programs after we've, we've begun from the ground and now it's up. We do the bigger programs, and we continue to pass on those skills. So we come in as facilitators, sort of like bringing in the technical aspect uh, to make sure that the churches function. If we are doing clinics and it's a full-time job, of course the people in the clinic will be paid. Um, but for that community structure which holds everything together, it's not a paid job. Um, yes, we, in some places we find it difficult uh, because they're volunteers, so they've got work, or they're mothers, they've got children. Uh, so we, we tailor it depending on the time that's available. Um, sometimes it could be like during school holidays and we've blocked those two weeks and everybody comes, it's a residential training and it's possible. Um, other times we hold it on Saturdays and it could be um, one day a week. So it, it could go on for a long time, but they don't graduate until we finish the, the 80 hours of, of training. Yes, yeah, so we are, we are flexible and from community to community. Yeah. 
Yes, please. When you, you said that you're in an area three to four years. Yes. And how do you, up front, are you, uh, do the churches know that you're going to be meaning out of that? And how do you handle that? And then how do you exit? That is a real difficult um, task to do, to exit from a community. And I guess then, is there any additional follow-up after that to go back and see how the community is doing and provide feedback once after you leave? Mm-hmm. So more the process, I guess, is what I'm asking about. How do you engage? What do you tell them up front? How do you exit? And then any follow-up from there? That's right. When we commit ourselves to a partnership with a community, and this is during the vision seminar, and they ask all these questions, um, we make it very clear to them that it's not our agenda. We've just come to let you know that you need to be responding. And usually their question is, but how do we respond? Because they're overwhelmed. Um, They're just at the same level as the people having the problems, because that's where the churches are. You know, like the churches in the area which was flooded in Khartoum, um, where the same people who are suffering the same consequences is the people we are asking for them to minister to. Um, So they're overwhelmed already. And then we are there to tell them, you know, we will help you. We will work with you. We will train you. uh, We will support you. But it will just be for a time. We want you to begin things only you can manage. And we will help you with the knowledge to do it. We want to help you to be obedient to God. That's the motivation. And uh, they know from the beginning that we are there for a limited time. And we make it very clear. We give them examples of some of the communities we've worked with. In some areas, if it's possible, we actually bring them to communities we've faced out of uh, for them to hear from the pastors uh, we've worked with before so that there is a clear expectations. Uh, from the beginning. As we come to, as we go through the three years, um, we actually keep them reminded. You know, like if they come up and they say, we want to build a clinic. We tell them, that's great. So um, how will you do that? Remember, we're just here with you for one more year, you know. So they are making decisions that, you know, um, are taking that into consideration that will not be there for long. And, um, So throughout the process, they stay reminded that we are partnering with them to help them respond to the mandate that God has given them, and we will be on our way because we need to be on our way. It's it's healthy that way. Um, As we come to the exit time, uh, we actually begin uh, toning down by the third year. Um, Like, we don't do many investments in the third year. Like the first year, there's a lot of training, there's a lot of pouring in, discipleship and equipping, like for microenterprise, startup funds for the things that they're going to do. Um, by the fourth year, they're actually beginning to pay back into the revolving loan, and that is being managed by the church. And we are less and less now training them in new initiatives. Um, so they actually don't realize we are, by the time we exit, they literally don't need us. Um, They're needing us less and less. So it's not like now we are stopping or this is the last one. It's almost like it's not called for. And um, we maintain relationships in places where we've worked. Uh, Like when we have short-term teams that come out to visit us. In some cases, we go to churches where we're faced out from. 
and do like women conferences from all the churches that we were with. And we use that as a way to encourage and also to hear, yeah, what's happening uh, in those churches. Or we can, we can just receive them. They could, they could come to consult in the office about, say, there's a new partner who is approaching us. Um, can we partner in this way? Um, so we maintain a relationship. But we, we are not obligated, they're, they're not obligated, and we are also not obligated. Um, our call was to put in that structure and, and be sure no matter what other partners come, it, it will stand. And they will have the ability to say yes and no to, depending on what is coming. Uh, it's totally the church in, in charge, and they're in control. Yeah. It's beautiful when you see it. Yeah, it really is. I, I believe that's, that's the way God meant it to be, um, that the church is in charge and his bride is feeling um, they're in obedience. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, I'm from Uganda, so we are neighbors. All right. We haven't had any experience from life abundance in Uganda. So... I would probably take this opportunity to invite like, abundance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all good things that are happening uh, probably can happen in Uganda too. Um, we have a lot similar, you know, like what you just shared in Chibela. We have a lot similar slums, even though we are a small country compared to your religion, but we have, and right now, people are giving up, like I mostly work with child care and development, <laughs> we have like uh, abandoned kids, like right now, infants are many, like you can every day watch them on TV, what there are babies everywhere left out in tax parts and different things, so and it needs like an awakening, like what you're doing to bring in a church, a church hand, like involving churches in the community. If I can mobilize them, then you come and probably do the vision part. Do the vision part and yeah. start the community development. Thank you very much. We, we appreciate that invitation. And uh, yes, we are coming. Vision 2014 for life in abundance is that we will be in Uganda. Uh, so we pray for God's uh, direction to that end. Um, I will take that question and then I'm going to be asking Justin to make some closing remarks and then we'll bring it here for some closing remarks and we'll be praying. I would like us to pray for those communities that I told stories about. Um, because they are not stories. Um, they are real situations. Um, they are real people. And um, so we'll, we'll have a chance to uphold them before, before God. Um, that because we have had, um, it will not remain the same. Uh, God is able. Um, kindly, please. Yeah. Um, I know you said like, a lot of your volunteers are often in churches and it's like the mobilization of power in the church. I was just wondering, like, demographically, you have a lot of youth as well as elderly, and, you know, like, I, I was just curious, like, 
of in terms of the people that are in power? Is it pretty widespread, or do you have slightly different? Um, we find in the rural areas, it's more, it's more elderly. It's more, you know, it's 50 elderly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, it's mothers, say, with about three, four children. Um, that's the kind of level that we, we get because they're, they are home. Maybe their husbands are working in other places. They are available to do the home visits, and they, they feel the needs most, right? So that's in the rural areas. Um, youth could be in schools or, or working, and they may not be present. But in towns, because it's especially in the slum areas, we, we see the younger, the younger people, still uh, youth. But it really depends, because when we charge the pastors to go back to their churches and choose for us a team that will be heard and listened to in the community, that will be respected, and that will follow through, really it's, it's up to that pastor now to go and sample the members of his church and choose who will people listen to. And then those people that are brought to us, those are the ones we train. So it's, it's quite a mix, and, but more young in the, in the slum areas. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Justin? Take a minute and make a remark, and then um, we'll have Paul. This has just been thrown on me. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) (laughs) What did I say? I'll say one thing. As we work with the communities, as you come and see the communities, and see the work that is going on with those communities. As your heart is stirred up by what you see, and as Florence has given descriptions about what is happening on the ground, come in with an attitude, with a mindset of being used by God to work with these communities. Not to come in and control not to come in and to give them and think solutions will just come, but to work with. And why do I say working with? Sometimes the working with is just a burden of prayer. And so when you're feeling, what can I do? If you are there praying, you're working with. For many people who we meet and who we deal with in the field, just want a person who they can feel, treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, can pray with them. 
can stand with them. A person who can make them feel worthy. It is not a matter of doing it to the best. It's not a competition. It is not something to excel. We're not competing. We're asking somebody to come and walk with us, pray with us. Let us see Jesus. Let us see that in the way we communicate, in the way we connect, in the way we do things together. And sometimes that makes a bigger impact than a building that you leave there. Amen. Thank you, James. Um, Paul, I'll give you a minute. After heavy giants have spoken, it's so hard, but it, it's been awesome just to work alongside poor people, and I think that's the most exciting, exciting thing. The reason is you touch the very heart of God. His heart is there. You know, He's their defender. And therefore, when you touch their heart, you're touching the very heart of God. And I think that's what we've been called to. And we are doing it, James, as rightly say, we don't want to impress anybody. We are not out there to impress anybody. But if God packs us on the back and says, well done, child, you've done it well, that will be something for us in eternity. So that's the call that we have. It's disparate. I know we have very many people who've come to our country, and we thank you very much. This wonderful team that you saw raising their hands, they have soaked their soil, their hands in the communities and experience sometimes even cultural shock, you know, culture shock. But then just get it, oh, 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 this is the day-to-day life of these people. We just need to walk with them. And so that's what I could have said. I thank God that I would be part of this movement at such a time like this. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. Um, shall we pray? Father, we are truly thankful for the opportunity you've given us and allowed us to see the needs of the least of these, your brothers. And we want to lift Sudan, we want to lift uh, Somalia, we want to lift Kenya, and especially the communities that we have mentioned in this room to you. Father, in your greatness, in your ability as the almighty God, that those that would be suffering in those places will be visited, that there will be a